All right. I feel like I always say, all right, when we start. <sighs> Man. We just had a, I had a pretty sizable meal just now. That, that was, was pretty, pretty mid, too. though. Well, my oh, yogurt mine was good. was quite good. Mine was good. I wasn't feeling it. It's my second matcha in a couple hours. Yeah, I was surprised you went for round two. You gotta have two. I've been having like weird like indigestion lately. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So matcha has been helping with that. Oh right. In addition, yogurt parfaits for some reason like I I have more of an appetite for like yogurt and fruit than I do for like bigger meals. That makes sense. Huh. I don't know what what's going on. Your stomach is shrinking. My stomach is shrinking. I'm gonna lose. I'm gonna lose a bunch of weight. <laughs> How are you? Uh, good, good, good. Turn over here. Um, the Valley album came out today, which I'm super excited about. I worked on about half of it. Uh, and I'm, yeah, really pumped. Really pumped about it. Probably, I guess it's probably the biggest thing I've been a part of. I think. I was, I had more to do with the Joan album, but Valley has kind of like overtaken Joan as far as um like reach goes, I think. So pretty cool, pretty, pretty cool. And I love them. So they're one of my favorite bands. So getting to work with them is awesome. Um, Who produced that record? Uh, Mickey Brandolino, he's in Valley. They, like self-produced basically uh, and then Matt mixed of course um yeah so doing pretty good um I think uh something I did want to say was I think the last the last episode I, I randomly mentioned Sean Moffat you follow Sean Mm-mm. well he's a mixer in town and he does a lot a lot of CCM stuff I think but like right after we recorded or like the day we released that episode posted on instagram that he had like stage three melanoma oh man so just for whatever it's worth i wanted to like mention that and say like wish we wish him well and yeah just kind of happenstance that we that i know we mentioned it that we mentioned his name so that's really hard and we hope for healing and and all that so hope for good doctors yeah good medicine yeah quick recovery hopefully fingers crossed so yeah um I think today we're gonna talk about mixing kinda on the subject um I think we're gonna do like uh what makes a bad mix versus what makes a good mix versus what makes a great mix. Such an interesting topic to talk about because I feel like like mixing is subjective, like good, bad, whatever. Like it is subjective, but I feel like within the creative process, between mixing and mastering, I think those are probably the two most objective parts of like 
getting a song finished, you know, like, or analyzing a song. Like, you right. can, it's a lot easier for people to, in my opinion, agree on a good or bad mix than, like, a good or bad song, you know? Yeah. Like, you know? It is a little bit more of a, a little more of a logical process, like a more subjective or objective process. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's that's kind of where I start in thinking about what is a bad mix. If we're starting with the first chunk, what is what is a, a bad mix versus a good mix? Um, what do you think makes a bad mix? I think the biggest indicator of a bad mix is it's hard to put words on it. I think it's almost like the mix does not fit the song. I feel like, and that, that can, that can manifest itself in a whole bunch of ways. Like I think there's a lot of mixes that would be good on one record, but are bad in another record. So like if, if you have like a, four-piece indie rock band who's doing, like, shoegaze stuff. But then the mix comes out sounding like a pop record. Like, that's a pretty good indication for me of, like, a bad mix because it doesn't really fit the the production or the instrumentation of, like, whatever the song is. I think a good example is, like, like a lot of kind of shoegaze indie rock records. I'm, th- I'm thinking of Duster, like, <laughs> as my band. The the parts and everything played in that are so lo-fi and kind of crappy sounding that when you try to kind of enhance that with a mix, instead of mixing the way the song was produced, you kind of are like, oh, well, these tracks don't sound very good. It's my job to enhance them and make them sound better. That is usually a telltale sign, like, oh, this could have been a great song that I really was into, but everything's too clean or everything's too whatever. Right. Um, so that's one side of, quote-unquote, not fitting the song. Right. Another side is, like, you might have a really well-produced song, pop song, let's take, for example. It's really well-produced, the parts are good, but then the mix just has no life in it because... They mixed it like a duster duster record, you know right. what I'm saying? Where it it's 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 not it's not polished like it should be. Right. You know? Right. My I'll like push back on that a yeah. little bit. Does that if that happens objectively, would that mix be a good mix that but it's just the wrong style? Like say you have a duster song and it's mixed like a like top 40 pop really bright mm-hmm. polished would it could that be considered still a good mix but it's very it's just wrong for the song um it's a loaded question right there <laughs> i like th- if you if you were doing a song with parker like super lo-fi like 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 you know bounce to cassette and all that and we're, yeah just what we're talking about, and I mixed it, and I mixed it like, like I don't know, like Valley, mm-hmm. super bright, poppy, like, and you got that back. 
would you, would your first thought be like, this is a bad mix? Or would you think this is a good mix, but it's not right for the song? I think it would be a kind of case where I'd be like, Parker, do you like this mix? Yeah. And whatever he said, because I mean, it's his music. I think this is why it's a loaded question, because I probably wouldn't be super into that if I did that. But at the end of the day, if we're doing the business thing and we're trying to get clients and make money, a good mix is at the end of the day, what is the artist happy with? Right. You know? And I think that I have my personal preferences and my taste, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think a good mix is, does the artist like it? Does the artist feel like this fits the song that he, you know, wrote and produced? And I would say that most of the time, if an artist produced something with the intention of it sounding lo-fi or tapey or whatever, I would say most of the time if you sent them back a very polished mix, I'm sure that they would be like, I don't like that very much. Like, this doesn't feel right. But there's also scenarios where, like, that lo-fi production, but then with, like, an insanely top 40 pop mix, that might just be a new vibe to the song, and the artist might be like, oh, this is sweet, like the soul of the kind of DIY feel is in there, but now everything feels a little bit more commercial, more put whatever adjective that you right. want in yeah. there, you know? More competitive. Yeah, I feel like I gave you a pretty gray answer to <laughs> to your question. Dodged it pretty well. What do you think? Uh, I think that about wraps it up. It just all boils down to the artist. And um, see you guys next <laughs> week. I'm totally going to like start the outro music right there (laughs) and do a fake out. (laughs) Um, uh, I think, I think that is true. And I think you almost, I I feel like you almost just went ahead and skipped to the end of the conversation of like, yeah, really what it boils down to is like, is the artist happy? Does it serve the music well? And is, is the artist happy? I think, and I think that is, I think that's true. I think, I think that, that like is the, end all be all answer of like overall that is what makes what makes a great mix is it's well done serves a song and the artist likes it yep um what I kind of want to get into is like the nitty gritty almost of like what like what elements make like a great mix versus a bad mix yeah like um like a bad mix doesn't translate. Um, well, I guess just when you're just starting out and mixing, like we were a few years ago and, you know, everybody starts out some way. Like the first thing you do is probably going to suck. Mm-hmm. So how do you get from bad to good? What are like the, what are the foundational, uh, like, concepts and components of mixing that can take you from being a bad mixer to a good mixer. Yeah. Well, I think luckily 
I'm going to get into that. I think luckily there are tons of very, very successful songs that have horrible mixes. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, honestly, I like my hot take is that's most pop music. <laughs> yeah. Most pop. I feel like, oh man, this is a, this is a take. I might get a bunch of dads might rip on me. I think CLA mixes are horrible. <laughs> I think, yeah, like, I don't really, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan either. Just all of that, like. Like, 2005 to, like, 2009. Like, I mean, obviously, CLA was around before that. But right. the, the music that I was listening to that was mixed by CLA, like, I go back to and listen now. Like, the Avenged Sevenfold self-titled album <laughs> have, like, like, are a core memory of the music that I used to listen to. But you go back now and listen to those mixes, it sounds like <laughs> that there's a high-pass filter to like 200 hertz <laughs> like there's no low end yeah no like crispy top end like all the top end is like 5k like tons because of the guitars you right. know but anyways i think oh this is a good transition i think that for me a bad mix has a lot to do with eq and compression i feel like when i first started mixing uh, we'll, we'll start with vocals. Like when I first started mixing vocals, I like I feel like I entered this like, and I saw a video that perfectly summed this up the other day. But it was like you've entered the thin and brittle era oh, yeah, of I your like vocal, about, yeah. uh, and it was it's literally the exact journey I went through. Yeah. Like you don't use a high pass filter; <laughs> instead, <laughs> you just use like a really big bell curve right. on the low end, and like. You take out all the mid range because you're scared of it, right? And like, not and and all that like really crispy high end you don't know how to utilize. So then you take all that out too. So then you're left with just this like very two K heavy like vocal, and then on top of that, that's your that like we'll say like <laughs> Logic EQ mm -hmm. with that channel EQ, yeah, channel <laughs> EQ with the Logic compressor on default mode just Auto slammed game. yeah yeah just slammed so you got this really bright vocal but not bright in a good way just right. this very harsh vocal really hitting this compressor and it's just this like the compressor adds back like this color in the low the like low mid range that you took out right but there's nothing there to color so it's just kind of like this dead-sounding, brittle vocal, mm. I feel like... I feel like I can hear that nine times out of ten, like, on a record that I'm not feeling the mix of. Like, most yeah. of the time, it's like, oh, this vocal sounds like they read a manual <laughs> on what, like, a vocal's supposed to sound or like and just preset. used intuition to get there. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and the intuition is good. I'm talking about, like, ignorant intuition right Un just, like uninformed yeah yeah unexperienced yeah. or inexperienced right experienced yeah i i feel like a lot of when i hear like a well yeah to me a, a bad mix is like um 
unbalanced, like unbalanced and crowded, and uh, mm. like the there's nothing helping out the kick and bass relationship, and they're both really loud, but they're mm-hmm. both just fighting for each other, so it just turns the whole song into mush. Yeah, but like, and then you have that whole bass situation going on. And then you try to put a vocal on top of it, but it just makes it worse. So you high pass it and boost the boost the high end a lot and all the air and stuff. And then it's just on top of the of like the low end. And then anything else that you try to put in it is just mess and noise. Yeah, I think I think that is a a bad mix is is unbalanced. Both I think the elements within the mix are all unbalanced to each other. They're not. They're all competing for each other. They're the uh, a lot of build up, um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that is a that would make a bad mix. I also think a bad mix objectively doesn't translate to other systems well, um, because it could actually sound good to you in the way that you listen to music in maybe an untreated room on like really cheap speakers. Um, and then you bring it out to the car or whatever on, or on AirPods. And then like you, the bass just blows up. I mean, I remember I always dealt with that when I was mixing on the, on the five inch KRKs, like there's no sub in those things. They only go down to like 80. So, or if that, and, um, so I just was guessing and to hear it, I had to boost it a ton. So when I like moved it to the car or checked with someone else or got some mix notes, it was always just like just tons of sub, a lot of, a lot of boominess. Um, and, uh, so sometimes I mean, a lot of sub can be good. It can be fun if you, if you can balance the rest of the song to it and, and give space for it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is a that that's a key for a, like a bad mix. It's unbalanced and like things aren't like vibing well with each other. All the different tracks are not working together well. Mm. And also it doesn't translate. I think that would be my I think that would be my 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 markers for a bad mix, um, and I think a lot of that comes from just not really knowing how to use tools like EQ and compression and and stuff well. Yeah, I I I feel like another marker for me with a bad mix is like when the song pretty much like the perceived volume of the song stays the same the entire time. And that's usually a result of like, like everything being stereo, you know, like everything being super wide. Like, I, and I think that happens just like with the way MIDI instruments are made nowadays. Like everything's super wide, pan. Like there's not much panning going on. Nothing really has a spot in the mix. It's like everything is just happening all at once. Right. Like, and and I feel like. Uh, Sometimes with bad mixes, I can hear 
the amount of revisions that were done on that mix. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like version 42 and it's just like it it it's dark and everything feels like it has a blanket over it because it, like harshness I feel like scares um mix it like young mix engineers and yeah. to just like taking it away. You no, know, like yeah. taking away I, brightness and everything is just I can't I I can't it's so hard to describe <laughs> this yeah. for me, but it's it's just this feeling that I get of like overwhelming amount of just everything. Yeah. You know? I, I would I would even add like a like almost <laughs> this maybe sounds harsh, but like polishing a turd with, with yeah. mix bus processing. Yep. Cause you like OTT. You like have a mix and you're trying to get into mixing and then you think you learn about mix bus processing and you're like, oh, that's everybody's secret sauce. You just have good all you have to do is have good mix bus processing. Then you'll be a great mixer. Like in theory, you shouldn't need mix bus processing to make a great mix. Mix, mix bus processing usually like should only carry like five percent of <laughs> like of the mix quality. It's just kind of like icing on top to make what you've already done better. So I feel like um, having like a, a bad unbalanced mix that doesn't translate and then you just put a, pun- a bunch of stuff on the bus, like you like slam it with Pro L2 or something or, or L2 or L3 and then put like like the like a like the logic pull tech on it or something and yeah. crank 10k all the way yep. up and you're like oh this sounds so great and expensive uh but it, it doesn't and that just makes it worse um yeah i think it, it's just like it kind of boils down to like just poor utilization of tools yeah and 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 not having enough experience or at least just not prioritizing referencing um, I think that's something that for whatever reason, I just, i like, didn't think to do when I was starting out and I figured it out. But once I kind of realized like, or especially once I got new speakers and like switched rooms and did sonar works and stuff, I like, I made myself reference a ton every time I did a mix, especially when I just, when I just switched over to a new system. Cause like, if you don't have a reference point for how your speakers and stuff sounds, then like you're just flying blind. Yeah. And if you don't have a reference for what a good mix sounds like, you're flying blind too. Cause yeah. And we could get into, you know, like monitoring and acoustics and stuff like another time. But I think that does, that does play into it. The production also plays a yeah. huge role. Like we talked about polishing a turd earlier. Yeah. Like, I just feel like people, mix engineers who are first starting out, like I, I've been mixing pretty regularly. I feel like for the last year, and like worked pretty hard up until then. But like, I feel like still one one in every three songs that I mix, the production is kind of like, like there's a lot of things that if these were played a little bit tighter, right. like like my mix would just get better because I mean like especially with low end bro like yeah. if your kick and your if it's that kind of song where like the kick and bass need to mesh like real well and they aren't there really isn't like much you can do just on like a pure mixing side I mean I know some mix guys like 
we'll do small editing if yeah. if like a you know because unfortunately like if if your low end doesn't feel good but it's not your fault right your mixed notes coming back are really not going to care about whether it's your fault or not they right. just want it fixed yeah i i run into that i i i run into, i run into that a lot and i do uh do some editing like it it kind of depends but usually sometimes it'll be just like on a big on a big drop run into a chorus where it needs to punch like the kick just isn't quite aligned with everything else so i just nudge it mm. or like maybe the tuning isn't quite there and i melodyne spot check some stuff or yeah. throw a little tiny bit of autotune on it to polish it or or whatever um yeah and i think that that is really true what you said like in revisions a lot of times a lot of times the revisions that I end up, especially on songs where the revisions go high, like usually on like a, a song that's finished out really well and is well done, like usually we're done by M3, like mix number three. Yeah. Um, I usually um, only go to four, usually, or I try to. Anything that goes, a lot of times the things that go to M4 or beyond aren't really mixed notes. They're like things that were lacking in the production that they're hearing now. Yeah. Like a comp was bad or something wasn't edited right or the tuning was bad or something. Yeah. And, and, and like, then it's not really a mixed note. It's a production note or an editing note. So yeah, that's kind of a tangent, but I did. I have run into that recently even. Yeah. I, I've just been, I've learned like, man, like, when I hate a mix, like, why do I hate it? Yeah. Do I hate it because I can tell that everything, like, was recorded well and whoever mixed... I mean, that's, like, a pretty... Like, the, the only really, like, surefire way you can know if the production was well and the mix engineer messed it up is if, like, it's timing, I feel like, or, or intonation, right. things like that. Like, there's really no way you can tell that it's the mix engineer's fault unless, like, those things are, like, really locked in right. and then the mix is bad, you know? Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, I guess, like, the way you record things can play a role. But, like, you, you wouldn't be able to tell that apart from, like, a mixing standpoint or a production standpoint. Like, right. they mic'd this poorly versus, oh, he just, like, sucked all the life out of it with an EQ. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think, like, I'm learning over time, like, okay, when I'm listening to this song and I don't, I don't like the mix, like, it doesn't feel good, is this the, do I think this is more in the producer's fault or the mix engineer's fault? Right. And I feel like m most of the time it's the producer's fault or whoever recorded that. And the mix engineer was built a, uh, a bad hand, dealt a bad hand. Yeah. And then because they were inexperienced, <laughs> they made it worse. Right. And then it's just like this downhill trajectory from yeah, like when they got the song to when it came out. I guess. I think there is a a Beat Kitchen video recently. I think it was Beat Kitchen. Yeah. Where he was like, uh, like the reason the top forty mix engineers are 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 
the reason the top mixers mixes are so good is because they get the best songs, the best recorded songs in to mix. Yep. Uh, if those same people were getting crappy songs in the mix, they would be, I say it would, it would be good. It'd be a good mix, but the song sucks. Yep. So like, it will never be a great mix because it wasn't recorded well. Like from the beginning, if it, I mean, if, if quality is lacking from the very beginning, then, you know, you can only, you can only bring up a, a grade so much. I always say like mixing can, can bring a song up like two letter grades and mastering takes it up to like from a minus to a plus. Mm. So like if you're, if your production is like average, like a C, then you might be able to get it to like a B plus, maybe a low A with a really good mix. And then let's say, let's say you have a, a C minus production. The, you know, maybe with the mix, the most you can get it up to is a, is a, is like an 85, a B and then on, or, or lower. And you, and then you throw mastering on top of it and brings it to like, in 86 or 87 like it's not but it's not a and it's that's, not a plus that's interesting if you have a i mean if you have a production that's already at a 90 like an a minus like there's almost not there won't be as much to do with the mix because most of it is already there mix will bring it up to 99 percent, and then mastering will take it to an a plus mm. um and because you can only you can only make something that much better if you if you get a song in that's from someone who has no idea what they're doing, um, some people have no idea what they're doing and have, but have good intuition and a good ear and are talented and you get something good. Yeah. And I'm saying no idea what they're doing and not, not talented and like no intuition and, and it's just bad. If you get that kind of song in the mix, especially when you're first starting out, don't beat yourself up because it doesn't sound good. It's never going to sound good. If you get a song and that's an F, the best a mix can make it is a low C. Yeah. <laughs> like, so if you're churning out low C mixes, maybe it's just because you're getting an F songs. Um, and, and that's, and I think that's part of the frustration in starting out is like, and I, I mean, I feel that way even where I am now. I'm like, I know that I could, knock like if i got higher level productions or songs and to mix i know that i could knock them out of the park but i'm just not getting those yet so i think and i think that just comes with a matter of time and experience and quantity of mixes you've done but there isn't really like a a shortcut away from away from that sometimes you sometimes you have to do the crappy songs that your friend did but you're going to learn stuff from it. Yeah. You're going to get familiar with plugins and tools and gain staging. And yep. I think that's, I think those songs are where you learn the absolute basics, which are, which are the foundation for eventually, you know, several years down the line, like doing big label stuff, if that's what you want to do. Dude, that's such an interesting perspective, knocking it up to letter grades. Because, because the way I think about it, bro, is like, Let's say, like, producing a song is like writing an essay. Like, yeah. 
and the mixer is like a peer check, like in a class or whatever. Um, so like you, you got your essay written and do the best you can, like got the idea across, sweet, like it meets the required length, sweet, like um, the right font, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And you have some, like you send it to your friend, like spell check or check. And then all of a sudden, like he, uh, he's very good at paying attention to like your words and your sentence structure and all that stuff. And he's just marking your paper up. Right. Red circles everywhere, crossing stuff out, like all that stuff. I feel like sometimes a good mix engineer <laughs> can absolutely bring out the worst in your song. <laughs> like, right. like, because he gave the bass, kick and bass, such good separation, now you're hearing how off time it is. Yeah. Because, right. and I feel like there are some mix engineers and just like some friends who check your essays who can identify a problem and then write a little note to the side on, hey, this is misspelled, or hey, I feel like you should structure your sentence this way. Right. And then there are mix engineers who just can find the problems and they're doing their thing. They're, they're analyzing the song, they're balancing, they're, they're mixing the song away the way it needs to be, but they're not able to like fix your problems. Right. You know, they actually just bring your problems out more. Right. I've, I've thought about that thought that way with, uh, like mastering lately. It, it's, uh, every next step in the process just kind of, it's going to amplify everything, and if you have more bad things than good things, then yeah. those things are going to shine even even more. Um, Sam Moses, he, he has a podcast. If any of you are podcast people and you want to want a great music business podcast, and I I have loved Sam and Sam Moses and Matt Garber have a podcast called Attack and Release Show, and I've listened to it for a long time and I've loved it. Um, they did a, a episode recently. I forgot which one it was, but. Uh, I think they said like um, I think it was Sam who said like what he's been trying to do is uh, at the mastering stage instead of looking for things that are wrong to fix trying to focus on the great aspects of the mix at that point and trying to amplify those Um, just kind of a like kind of a different perspective yeah Um, and I think that you should do both like you should like have the ear to pick out things that are wrong and could be better, but then also have the experience and kind of discretion to say like, maybe that's just part of the vibe. Maybe that doesn't really need to be cleaned up and I should just focus on the, the, the good qualities of the song and try to amplify those as much as I can. Yeah. Um, especially in the mix stage where you have more control. Yeah. That's what it, I feel like part of the maturity of growing as a mix engineer is like identifying the bad parts of the song and learning like how do I make this sound as good as possible while also like covering up those mistakes. Because right. it's like one thing to be able to like get your bass thumping and like really in your face and bright but not too bright, you know, and like. It's it's taking up like the best room in the mix, but also like it's it's supporting everything else, you know. There there's a there's a way to like scratch that mix engineer itch of like doing everything 
correctly right. and getting everything to sit well and being real with yourself on like the stems that you got. Right. And okay, how do I make this sound as best as possible? But if the kick and bass aren't locking together, like what are like what's a new creative solution that I can come up with that's going to not make that's not going to ruin the pocket just for good sonic quality, right. but also having some sort of good so- sonic quality, you know, like that. That's a definitely a place that will push you and make you grow just with intuition wise and trying to like enter the artist's brain right. with what were they thinking when they recorded this or whatever or laid right. it down. Yeah, and I think I think that's kind of getting into like a good mix versus yeah. a great mix. Yeah. Um because like you could get a song in that just has interesting production or something or mm-hmm. like I did something recently where it had a lot more all of the instruments had a lot more low end than than I would have done usually and I was scared of it being muddy um, and a lot of the when I did the mix like on the first revision a lot of it was like I know there's a lot of low end in this song but can we bring some of that back in everything and I was like okay well alright this, this song needs to have a really thick low end bed uh because that's the vibe. That's how they intended it to be. So I just kind of had to figure out how do I uh, how do I maintain all that that low thick information in all the guitars and the bass and the drums and everything, but also make it all glue together and not be overpowering and still give everything space to each other. So um, that's kind of when I really got into the soothe side chain thing, and I made I like side chained a bunch of stuff to like the bass so that the bass could still be powerful and have a space but when the bass is in and and another low end element is also in uh the those primary bass frequencies are will get ducked out of the other instruments when the bass is happening. Yeah. Um and I do the same I usually do the same on most mixes with um with uh, the kick and bass, I have like in my template like a Pro Q dynamic um, bell set up. It's already side chained to the kick, so like, and then you can put the uh, you can like view the spectrum of the other track at the same time, and you can see where it builds up. And I move the bell to where it where it, um, where they clash, so that when the kick hits, the dynamic EQ like ducks yeah. the bass down at that fundamental frequency. Uh, anyway, that was my like tooting my own horn, I guess. Yep. Like, I figured it out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is something that differentiates a great mix from a good mix because a good mix would say there's a lot of low end in these guitars. Guitars don't need low end. I'm gonna let the kick and bass speak. The guitars don't need it, but that's not the vibe of the song. That's not the vision of the song. If I send it back like that with with everything high passed and only like the kick and bass having the, the taking most of the sub and 
low end as would traditionally be, you know, correct, quote, correct, uh, then it would just be a good mix. But it didn't fit the vision of the song. And I think figuring out how to do that is what makes, is part of what makes a, a good mix a great mix. I feel like for me, the difference between a good mix and a great mix is how much I notice the mix. Um, like in a great mix, I feel like I'm not even thinking about the mix. Uh, I'm yeah. listening to that guitar that is being played. Yeah. I'm listening to how incredible this vocal sounds. Right. Like, I think uh, the Louis Prince record is a great, like, is a great example because. It'd be one thing if, like, I listened to the Louis Prince mix and was like, oh, this low end feels so right. good, or, you know, this is such crispy high end. And then it's a difference between, like, that is the craziest guitar tone that I've ever heard in my life. Right. Or, like, that drum kit, like, that drummer, who yeah. is, whoever's playing that, those drums are, like, really locked in. Dan Burns. Dan Burns. Yeah. Bro. The, some of the fills on that, like on that record, it's the same thing with uh, McGee, like McGee's oh, yeah. music. Like it, it's these weird, like very syncop- syncopated fills that are, are like unlike anything I've heard. It's before. almost like it's almost like jazz, like like bebop. Yes, fills almost like um, like bleeding yeah. over into new measures and like coming back, like the the groove coming back in on like unusual like parts on the like actual like like on just some weird subdivision yeah like you know and then i feel like with a good mix um it, this might have more with just like a song not being that great but i feel like with good mixes i'm like wow that low end feels great like wow everything is balanced so nicely yeah like just Instead of just getting lost in like the music that I'm listening to, you know, like, and, and again, like, I feel like this whole podcast is going to be like, and that's because it was recorded well, (laughs) they had good audio sources and they, their mic placement was so good. I was going to say like, man, that Louis Prince record is, I think it's engineered and produced so well that it is set up for just a great mix, but, but yeah. It's yeah, it's that whole thing for me of like I, I've always been like I I would say mixing and editing are probably my weakest like traits when it comes to music making. But so so I'm I'm usually more tapped in when I listen to music to the creative side of yeah. like. This was recorded, like, these parts are performed very well. Like, the vibe is there, you know? But, yeah, with great mixes, like, like I think about uh, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Like, that's a phenomenal mix. And all I think about in that song is <laughs> the chord progression <laughs> and how just crazy good and dreamy and vibey Stevie Nicks vocals are, yeah. like, the fact that it's only a two chord song, like right. those are the things that I notice. I don't, I don't like when I listen to music, like I don't want to think about the mix, you know? And right. if I notice the mix, then I'm kind of just like, yeah, I mean, it's a good mix. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I haven't thought about that. Cause I, I'm definitely more tapped into like the mixing thing. Yeah. So a lot of times when I'm listening to something, I, <laughs> I think this has been a problem with me 
uh, enjoying music less as time has gone on because I'm so focused on mixes and I have a very particular taste in mixes. Mm -hmm. So like when I hear a song come on, if, if I'm listening to like discover weekly, if it comes on and it doesn't have a good mix, I'm like so disinterested by it and I just skip it. And I know I'm missing out on a lot of like good music because of that. But even like lately it's been really interesting I like love Coldplay. One mm -hmm. of my like probably my all time favorite band, and like Viva La Vida, is an insane album, super duper creative, just like phenomenal. When I first listened to that album when I was younger, I was just like, "This is amazing! All the production in this, all the guitar tones are insane. Like the strings and all the writing and all the sounds that they did, it's just crazy, and." And same with like all the older Coldplay albums, like like A Rush of Blood and even Milo. Uh, but now I I listen back to those albums and I'm like, I don't really like how this is mixed. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's just a you know two thousands mix, and which is fine. But my taste has changed, and I listen to it. And I'm like, man, I wonder what what it would be like if it were had a little bit more of a modern mix. And I'm like, maybe I don't like Michael Brower's mi mixes. <laughs> uh, do you know Michael Brower makes battle studies? Oh, yeah. That, like, I, I didn't find that out till like, six months ago. I think you told me that, actually. Yeah, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, the Browerize system. Have you seen the, the mix with the masters with uh -uh. him? He has, like, five different racks, basically, of outboard gear. And, it's, and they're all, like, basically, like, mix bus presets almost. And he, like, sends different things to each one and sums it all back together. That's called the Browerize. That's like a Brower mix. Is like It's just, like, just in insane outboard bus processing. Yeah, that, that John Mayer record, I think Battle Studies, in my opinion, relied mostly on the mixes. Like, obviously, great songs. Like, it's John Mayer. Like, I will always have a soft spot. I mean, yeah. Sob Rock. Nah, uh, but we're going to disagree on that. But like battle studies, like the drum tones are unlike anything that like John Mayer had done. Yeah. And I feel like that was when he started leaning more into his like writing parts era. Like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a song like War War of My Life. Oh, yeah. That is so like band. That's such a bandy song, you know? There's no, like, huge John Mayer guitar solo moment. Like, you see where I'm going? I feel, I'm, yeah. I'm looking at well, you right no, no, now. I was, I was just thinking of something. I was trying to remember something because I, I, I remember seeing a video of him, like, talking about that album and, and how uh, heavily focused he was on melody. And, like, Heartbreak Warfare, like, very detailed melody. Like, yeah. there's, one, there's one line where it's, like, Heartbreak Warfare. Yeah. And then it's, and there's one that's hard, uh... Wait, what is it? There's one where like the melody is slightly different. They throw a flat seven in on like the part. Uh, I think it, it's. I think there's one that's heartbreak warfare, and then there's one that's heartbreak warfare. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it's I know and it's it. it's a half step. There's one note that's a half step, or they like shift it down by one tone, and it's just like really detailed melody decisions like that. Um, 
But that, that song's a great example. Like the guitar hook oh, is yeah. not like a John Mayer guitar hook. No, we're he, totally he, on a. Was he, he plays there's like Charvel or something <laughs> on it? Count, count, count. With the with the yeah. like the Floyd Rose or yeah, whatever. Yeah, dude. And I feel like that was the album for Michael Brower to mix because it's. And he kind of leaned more into that on Born and Raised, but Manny mixed Born and Raised, I'm oh, pretty okay. sure. Yeah. And Born and Raised is super parts heavy too. Yeah. But very then. Organic band. Yeah, like, um, what's that one song? Uh, little by little. Inch oh. By, uh, uh, face to Call face Home. Face to Call Home, that in guitar part. <laughs> that's a Coldplay part. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally, like that's a worship guitar part. Like, yeah, we always remember, like Fox Salt Boys. We always refer to that as the Coldplay song because it. And uh, anyways, back to it sounds like it could be on X and Y. Yes, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> where, anyways, Michael anyway, Brower. John Mayer. Yeah, John, John Mayer, Mayer, Michael Brown. Do you get you bring up John Mayer and music? Bro, and we're gonna, black hole. Yeah, yeah we're just we're hole. just two dudes <laughs> who play guitar. Like we love John Mayer. It's just it's like a rule of life. Why do you, why do you, like twenty year old dudes love John Mayer so much? <laughs> Have you seen that? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> like, we all just love John Mayer yeah. so much. So uh, I remember some people have asked me if I like John Mayer, and I'm like, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> of course I like John Mayer. I'm a young white dude. Dude, John Mayer. <laughs> God. Uh, anyway. Uh, Great, yeah, great mix. I don't even remember where. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember what we were talking about. Where we left off. Um, um, you brought up Michael Brower for some reason. Uh, oh, I was talking about um, how I listen back to older stuff that I used to like, and I just haven't enjoyed it as yeah, much yeah, because yeah, I'm more yeah, focused yeah. on the mix. Um, I think part of that is because as new methods of mixing become available, like the like style of mixing the trend of what of of popular styles of mixing shifts over time so like in the 2000s that was the vibe you know all the John Mayer like that like uh, I think about room for squares and 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 stuff and heavier things like the way those are mixed it's so 2000s yeah heavier but, things to go take a listen to that record. <laughs> you want to feel good about your mixes? Go listen to I know. your things. It's, and you listen back and you're like, wow, these kind of suck. But that's kind of what the vibe was back then. Now yeah. everything, the, the vibe now is like heavily processed, very intense, I think. Hi-fi. Like high, very hi-fi, yeah. yeah. Um, and part of that has come with um, more of a increase in quality in pro audio, I think. I heard something about that recently. Uh, anyway... Um, See, I feel like I am just getting more and more in, like, the vibe-centered, like, mixing, you know? Like, all my favorite mixes right now, like, the Duster record, Stratosphere, like, I don't know what it is about those records, man. Like, on paper, everything about those mixes are just awful. Like, (laughs) right? every, every, like, there isn't much dynamic in the songs, like as far as just like a perceived volume right. level, every it's like just kind of like two minutes of the same thing, right? And like I think Inside Out's a good example where because it was mixed on four track, for as far as four track mixes go, <laughs> these th- these records are like incredible. But as far like putting everything up to 
Ariana Grande's last record, <laughs> like SZA's last record. It's I'm I'm getting less. I'm not as into the hi-fi thing anymore. Yeah, because it it doesn't elicit as much of an emotional response from me as like those Duster records. And and as much as I hate to give CLA any credit, like. <laughs> The mixes that he did for those rock bands were exactly what they needed to be. Right. You know, because it got the it got the culture across, I feel like, in right. a lot of ways, you know? So would you would you categorize that and would that be a great mix to you? I think the duster mixes are great mixes because I don't I don't care about the mixes, you know? Right. Like I I am I have no I have no ability to to say with those mixes this is good or this is bad. It just is, and it's perfect for what it is. Right. Like, you can only like it or you can't like it. You can't say that it's good or bad because it's it's neither. It just right. is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas, like, I think, I think that SZA has a crazy good voice, and I think that she can totally do make a timeless R&B record. But the way they're just mixed so precisely and everything is so perfect and mm. everything feels so like in its own pocket and blah 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 like that it for me it kills all of the soul that is in that's supposed to come in R&B music, right. you know? Like D'Angelo's mixes like I know a lot of people who listen to Voodoo and some of the songs off Voodoo and they're like, this mix, like, this is way too, there's too much going on. Like, I'm not, I'm not into this, but you can't deny that, like, that record is a pinnacle of R&B because of everything was played live and, like, everything was mixed just very much based on the song, you know, not like, well, like, SZA is top artist and like these are what all of these other records sound like and like we need to compete with the volume of these other records and we need to make sure like the low end is it feels like all these other pop 40 or top 40 records that are coming out but we also like want to be R&B you know like there right. isn't just like a lot of it kind of kills it for me like yeah. just that crazy hi-fi cut and everything's cut and precise and like that that doesn't elicit much of an emotional response from me as like Mac Air's like easy record where everything sounds like it, it's on like a, a sequencer or something <laughs> like that you know it's just I don't I don't feel like I'm necessarily like a very quote-unquote credible source for like an objectively good mix yeah. because it, I'm so uh, I'm way more tapped into like the vibe right. of it. Also, side note, I thought that I missed your birthday and that those were like, 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 like this whole time. And there was one in your bathroom too. And I was like, Tanner has, are those, fly, are those, are those fly traps? Yeah. I thought they were like party, like confetti things that you like popped open. <laughs> That's hilarious because in this whole time I've been thinking like how am I gonna bring up like hey did I miss your birthday <laughs> no, party dude, or two weeks away you got two weeks yes uh, yeah that's so funny because my friend Leo was here yesterday and he like like at the end of the session he was like 
I was trying to figure out what that was the whole time. I thought it was like a cool decoration. And then I realized there were a bunch of gnats stuck to it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just took a look at it. I was like, that doesn't look like, no, like a, a I had, party flyer. I had a gnat issue for a bit. Uh, anyway, um, I, I think I have a couple nitty gritty things to say about a great mix that I had been thinking of. Also, I, another thing I wanted to mention, I think a, a, um, concern, a, a, a unfounded concern I had when I was kind of just starting to mix, um, like a little bit into mixing, like I had done a few different mixes from different people and I kind of felt like I was starting to be more of like a mix engineer, like as a profession. Uh, I, I had a sound in mind that I wanted to be associated with. Like I wanted to, I wanted to figure out what my sound is. And I started to have this unfounded concern of if I keep getting songs in that aren't really my vibe, Am I going to get stuck with that sound? That's not what I want my sound to be. Uh, so I was just thinking about that with what you said about like a great mix should like just vibe with the song. Um, and I think that is more important than trying to like force your sound or your concept of what your sound is onto something that doesn't need it or where it doesn't work. Um, like, getting in I don't remember what I was what I remember thinking this and I, and I but I can't remember exactly what project I was thinking about it with I think it was just a, a genre I didn't want to do or something and or something that was supposed to be darker and a little bit more raw and I wanted to do more pop bright polished mixes and I was like I don't want to do this I just don't want to I don't want to do that type of stuff and I got concerned and I think I tried to push my sound on a bit too much and it just doesn't work and I think that is to what I would so what to what I would say who's to somebody who is starting out and trying to figure that out like I think it's good that we mentioned like it is at the end of the day most important thing is with a mix is that it like honors the vibe of the song and like the vision of the artist even if it means that you have to sacrifice your sound or your almost like your reputation in a way like of if a record needs to be dark but you like bright and make it dark if that's what they want that that's what defines it as a great mix not that it's bright and up to your standard it's, it's up it, it's that it's up to the artist's standard yeah and i feel like your sound's going to the sound your sound's going to come through either way right. because it's going to have like, your fingerprint on it if you like mixing very bright then your version of dark is going to sound like your version of dark, <laughs> right. you know, like, yeah, like you're gonna find a way to satisfy like your own. Oh, I just saw Dolan. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, but he like he like looked at me real quick. Dolan's my our old neighbor. I miss him. But uh, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? Um, dark bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like you're going to find a way to make yourself happy to some capacity, I would assume, on, like, but, like, it needs to be bright. Like, it needs to at least have some sort of brightness. So, like, the sound you're going to create is a sound that feels dark, but still, like, has that brightness that, like, a good brightness about it, you know? Like, a necessary brightness. Yeah. And, And how you get there and how you, like... 
manipulate the sound, I feel like is going to have your fingerprint on it. Right. You know? Yeah. Like uh, with with the song I, I showed you the other day that I'm I can't I can't say the name of, um, the the poppy one the one that's in twelve eight. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh my gosh Th- yes that yes, song yes yes yes, yes, um, yes of course. Like I jeez ha- that song's crazy. I hadn't I hadn't had, I'd never done like a a pop like a like a a, a mix that that could very well like potentially be like. A, a pop mix, you know, like right. in that kind of category of music, you know. And I think just the way <laughs> that I tried to just kind of get there and and get it to that kind of pop standard, when I I don't do that at all. Like, I it gave me my own sound. I feel like on that record, you know, and and I, and I didn't think that I was going to be able to have any sort of voice. You know, mm. in that mix, because it's like I'm, I've never really mixed anything like this before, and it's <laughs> like dude, that thing is that song is crazy, and I think kind of going on the same strain, all, all the stuff that you show me that you've mixed, especially the stuff you've mixed and produced, um, I listen to it and I think like two things: one is like, wow, I would never do it like that, <laughs> and two is like it shouldn't be any other way than it is right now. Interesting. Like like I would I would do I would approach this completely differently, but like the second part is like but it would be wrong. That's so interesting. Like the way that you mix that song is just perfect for the song and it's just uh it's just pure vibe. And I think I feel like that's how you produce and how you mix I mean same with the song that we worked on last week where that was last week. <laughs> I guess it was last week. Uh, yeah, like I think it was last yeah, week. Yeah, I guess it was. Uh, and you like you just started printing out to cassette, and I'm like, wait, you're not mixing this? <laughs> but then you like... And you, I, you, I'm sure I just kind of looked at you <laughs> and was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then and then you printed it to cassette and then bounced it back in, and, and we listened back, and I was like, yeah, this does, this is it. Like, this doesn't... <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah, it doesn't need to be mixed. Like, it's just pure vibe. I ended up just not doing it on cassette because it was just limiting too much. That's the, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. I love bouncing to cassette, but there is a self-conscious aspect to me where it's like, this just sounds like <laughs> a shitty mix that's, <laughs> like, limited to hell. Yeah. <laughs> like, when the when something gets too loud on the cassette, it just ducks, like, yeah. so noticeably. And so I just... I just printed it off logic yeah. out of anyways. Uh yeah, anyway, I I I did have I have I've been thinking of this like three point almost like kindergarten like level like pneumatic device like for in my head what makes a great what di- what differentiates a good mix from a great mix on an like objective level rather than subjective. So like a great mix should of course, fit the vision of the song sure. and complement it. Um, I think when I am doing a mix, um, you know, I want to get to good mix first, like get all the foundational stuff down. I want to check all the boxes of like what makes a good mix. You know, things are balanced. Everything is gain staged well. Uh, it, it's every it is objectively fine. It could be sent off, but it's boring. Like what I 
think of as like three C's. Okay. And it's... This is a real moment right here. (laughs) It is uh, color, contrast, and clarity. And I think it's in that order of, like, order of operations. Okay. Color is like, if you're working all digital, uh, especially if it was recorded all digital, a lot of times, you know, there's that, like, digital sound, like it's too sterile almost. Mm -hmm. To me, color is using, like, just injecting some vibe onto things that just feel a little stale or sterile. You mean decapitate (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not even joking. Just put decapture on everything. Um, or like I have my mix template set up where I use the slate virtual channel strip uh, and the bus chant, the bus, virtual bus, you know, like the gray and the gray things in the virtual mix. The, do you use the rack the for the bus stuff? Oh, no, no, no. you're talking about the no, three. In, in three. virtual mix rack, yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. virtual console channel and then virtual console bus or whatever it's called. I remember when I stole your template, I didn't know what what the hell that was. Yeah. I was like, virtual mix rack is on everything. On everything. And there's just these the three end. plugins yep. on every chain, and I never understood. I have Pro-Q at the beginning of every track, and I have virtual mix rack at the end. And that instance of virtual mix rack has... For tracks, it has the channel strip, and for any buses, it has the bus whatever. Gotcha. But what's cool about it is you can group everything together globally, like across the whole session, and there's different options for what console you're trying to emulate. So there's like API and Neve and SSL and Trident and all that. You can link every instance together between uh, including the bus one and the channel strip one so that when you change the type on one of the instances, the entire session all changes over from say API to Neve. So it's cool because you can almost like audition what your mix sounds like if it were on a virtual Neve versus an API from down to the channel strip level, just like a console. Um, and then you can turn it off too and see how, how much different it sounds. So I think that that's the color to me is making things interesting, pulling interesting sounds out of things, putting like making things pop a little bit more, uh, enhancing certain qualities about different things, or just adding color to things that are sterile sounding. Yeah, I use the SSL channel strip yeah. on all my on all my I think tracks. Anything that falls into like the analog quote analog yeah. category like kind of counts for that it just gives it a color um and just kind of a uniqueness and i think that's part of the like your sound you know yeah um so that's that's color making things sound interesting um individual things sound interesting uh color and then second is contrast and I love playing with contrast in a mix. It's one of my favorite things to do. And that boils down to a like differences between any two concepts, like dark versus bright. Uh, I love messing around with stereo image, doing like narrow versus wide. Um, and also things like movement. Um, like a lot of times what I love to do, I'm like an ARP part or something that's really, really light and just kind of, 
plucky or arpeggio type thing, like more ethereal thing. I love putting like Pan Man on it, mm-hmm. like pretty light, just so it moves around the image, kind of left and right, really slowly. Um, and then put like a ping pong delay behind it, and so it just really just kind of throws around and creates yeah. this whole movement. So like movement in big sections. Well, like so for for example, in a song, the extreme example of this would be like doing a mix. I got my kind of color down. Usually I'll think about contrast next. Um, the verse, in, in the most extreme example, I make the verse completely mono with like ozone imager on the bus or something. You put a shelf on it to make it darker and there's like no movement and it's really, it's a small space or maybe, or, or no space, no reverb, no delay or anything. Then the chorus hits Everything goes full wide or more than wide. Everything's moving around. It's wet. It's big. It's deep feeling. And then, like, the verse comes back in and it goes back to super small. I think. And then also that kind of develops throughout the song, too, going from. Um, I love, like, crafting a mix almost like you're writing a song where like usually in a song you kind of you want it to develop dynamically over time i want like mix concepts to develop over time as the mm. song goes on yeah and and usually that lines up with the song too but sometimes not like sometimes i just i mean it's i you know a lot of times i'll make even the first chorus maybe slightly narrower than the last one like put imager on it bring it down to 90 percent or you can go the opposite leave it 100 percent, and then on the like the last course the big one like use imager to like spread it wider than 100 percent a little bit um and a lot of those little movements add up and and the contrast is what makes it interesting because it's keeping you engaged um whether you're realizing it or it's just subconsciously like it's 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 a, a dynamic mix. Is that's how I think of a dynamic mix? Is a lot of contrast. So that's an extreme example. Um, but more practically, I would say like verse comes in, more instruments come in. I want the instruments to be thrown around more with delays and ping pongs and um, or like if you have a track where there's two acoustic guitars happening the whole time. In the verses, I want to pan them in to like 70. And then in the choruses, I'm going to fly them all the way out hard left, right. Anything where you can make those kind of, make those contrasts. That's contrast. This is my, this is my lecture. I've been thinking about this for actually a long time. So. Well, this is your area of expertise. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> this is definitely your area of expertise. Uh, and then color, cl- contrast, and then clarity. Clarity is just making sure that every instrument has, every track has a, has a place. You can hear everything that you possibly can. Um, and a lot of times I will, I mean, and that's kind of ingrained in the whole process. Um, but a lot of times that'll be my, uh, my last step on a mix. Once I get things kind of the way I want them, a lot of times I will go to the buses and throw Pro-Q on it and just kind of move things around and kind of see how things are interacting. And that was like a, a pride I had to get over of like, if I have to put EQ on the bus, that means I'm not doing good enough on the track. It doesn't matter. Like 
I've gotten over that. Yeah. And it has freed me up a lot to like, I, I will kind of get a mix where I want it. And then I want to hear what, where things are building up. So I'll go on my keys bus and just put a bell at like, from like 1K to 3K and drop it like a DB or two and just like see how that feels and see what it, see if it reveals anything and if that's good. And if it's good, then I just leave it on. Um, so making sure everything is playing well together, things that are important have plenty of room to speak and, uh, yeah, like make sure that you can, I want to try to be able to hear every, every track, as many tracks as I possibly can. I want, I want to be able, that's my goal. I want, I want to try to shoot for being able to individually pick out every single track and that's not possible, but like, that's kind of what I want to shoot for. Um, and, uh, yeah. And kind of ways that I do that is like that pro Q, like EQ bus thing. Sometimes that reveals something and then you realize, Oh, it's on the specific track. I'll just go to that track and address it. Um, other way I do that was with the soothe trick on like the instrument bus side chaining it to the lead vocal and just making it only target like the mid of the image, a little bit of the sides. And then like, especially if it's a, a lower voice, like target like 200 to 500 and make it duck out like one DB or two. It like just carves out this perfect space where the instruments aren't clouding the vocal as much. Um, yeah, things like that. That's clarity to me. And that's that pretty much boils down how I approach mixing from a pretty practical, practical level. Hey, I think if you're new to mixing and you just heard all of that, <laughs> you and and you apply that, <laughs> I think that you just, I think you just outed yourself from about like five hundred dollars a person for like a class. <laughs> <laughs> or I could just mix your song for five hundred. Yeah, or you just mix your song. Um. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I approach mixing. I mean, there's obviously a lot more to it than that, but well, now I get to give my approach to mixing because you got to do all you got to you got to talk about all your fun mixed stuff. Yeah, dude, go for it. No, mine my mixing is do top down mixing. Um, because I, I I need to see what I'm working with, so I have I use the same mix bus every time. Yeah, it's oxide tape. Oh shit, I'm about to put myself out uh oxide tape you put ott on it no 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 uh it's uh oxide tape ssl bus yeah um black box Mm -hmm. for some high-end saturation and then uh limiter yeah and i all my and then i i do the vcas when i'm doing a proper mix like someone's paying me to mix a song, I use VCAs. Um, I do not. That is that is one thing that we. Well, it just depends. Differ on a lot. I. I have a tendency to overcompress more than undercompress, mm. and I've found that if I'm using a bunch of like subboxes or like just buses like for drums, and I have my bass bus, and then I have my lead vocal bus, right. I tend to like. Okay, well, I'm gonna compress it like on the individual track, and then like I start just going into like bad patterns instead of critically thinking, you know, like right. oh, I gotta compress like all the tracks in my lead vocal bus, but 
but now like I got to make sure all my tracks glue together. So then I'm going to put a compressor on the bus, like all this stuff. So I use VCAs. Um, I get a rough balance using like the actual track faders. And then I feed my mix bus with my VCAs right. so that everything hits. Once everything's the levels that I want, then I just go in and start playing, like playing around and yeah. looking for, no, I actually don't really look for problems. Like I don't really go in looking for problems. I just look for like fun things <laughs> that I can do. <laughs> yeah. And that's usually like just widening things a little bit more yeah. and EQing and I just try to stay away from like technical stuff that I really like don't really I feel like when I when I get into like very meticulous like mid side EQ right. I, my mixes just get phasey and weird because right. I, I don't know how to do it right right so I usually just like mid side EQ on like my kick drum or not my, not my kick drum just like on my like a, if, if I do a drum bus, it's usually a parallel drum bus. Do mid side EQ on there. Just I, I don't I don't really get into the, all the technicalities of it, but EQ, panning, compression, and stereo imaging, and then that's that's my mixing. It's so much less qualified than yours. No, but it, I mean the way it turns out is like it it turns out really creative and like true to the original song i think I hope so. and i think that works great for the a lot of the material that you end up with mixing yeah. is like it is already very vibey and like dialed in uh and uh i think the way that you mix really complements that let's go <laughs> that's that's a compliment from one of the best mix engineers that i know wow. and that's... who has taught me crazy that you think that most of the thing that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> he's like i actually don't think you're a very good fix engineer <laughs> no um i for for y'all who don't know tanner mixed my ep and i remember while he was mixing for the sessions that i was in there while he was mixing i was just watching you <laughs> like a hawk because i knew that you had all the secrets all the secrets from of just like problem solving you know yeah I, I i still have kind of my batch of things that i learned from matt that i just i just copied and like i use all the time like um decapitator yeah as you, said, you, like, you 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 drugged me with that yeah. <laughs> with that plugin because it was like i'm like tanner's putting decapitator on everything <laughs> pretty and much like if you look <laughs> i'm not doing it as much anymore but i still love it but if you like looked at like it'd be one thing if you had like turned the decapitator on and like put it on like two and like you know nudge the bright knob a little bit and like worked with the EQ, but you would turn that thing on and it'd be on like seven. And punish. Like punish. <laughs> and you were just using the mix knob just to like blend it in. I just yeah. remember that blowing my mind and like you're the one who like kind of showed me how you use saturation because it, when I heard like overdrive or saturation i thought of it in a guitar term and i was right. like oh why would you want to put that on a vocal <laughs> right but then yeah bro yeah now i'm in the phase now <laughs> where i'm learning when to not use it yeah <laughs> when it's too much it's really interesting how that goes but oh yeah decapitators is the sauce for sure mm -hmm. I, I i definitely haven't used it as much lately <laughs> i think lately i've been going for radiator 
Oh, because it's a little, uh, it's a little less aggressive and the saturation all comes from the input and the output. So a lot of times what's really fun. This is another mat trick that I just stole. Uh, like on snare, if the snare just needs a little bit more, throw a radiator on it. Obviously turn it off the noisy preset. I don't even know why that's a that, option. Yeah, that Turn the input all the way down and the output all the way up. Huh. And it's not as aggressive of a saturation because you're not cranking the input, but you're cranking the output. And it just kind of adds a little bit of gush and like excitement to it. It's huh. really subtle. But then when you turn it off, it's like, oh, that was like a huge difference. You want to know a secret depth uh, depth trick that I've been using that I taught myself, actually. I discovered this myself. Yeah. Devil lock, the darkness knob. Oh, yeah. Is a powerful friend, brother. Yeah. Uh, I use, <laughs> I do this all the time now. Like, if something's just poking out at me a little bit too much. Yeah. And I don't really feel like going into Pro Q or Soothe or like really trying to like figure it out. The first tool that I reach for is like, I'm just gonna throw Devil Lock on there. <laughs> like, no crush. Yeah. No saturation. Like, I mean, no crush, no crunch. crunch. Yeah. Yeah. And just like turn that darkness knob to like three. Oh. And things just like slowly like yeah. just get tucked away, but in a way like. The way Devil Lock just sounds when you turn it on, like yeah. to zero, it it still like adds like a little bit of like harmonics to the sound, or I don't know how it works, but like it adds color, so you don't you're not just like doing a like a low pass EQ. Right. It's it's like just a it just puts it in its own space a little bit. Yeah, and, I love using Devil Lock. I love using Devil Lock on things like percussion like tambourines and, and shakers and stuff and yes like, and like snare bottom yes. sometimes or like crotch mics or like the trash mics uh but a lot of times i'll put devil lock on something and you do like crush and, and crunch at like two or three yeah turn the darkness back a little bit but only put the mix at like one where it's just really subtle but it just adds enough of the like super aggressive compression and saturation that it just kind of lifts makes some makes it really Makes some elements really interesting. You and the use, darkness knob is great. You use Devil Lock on BGVs. I remember. Oh yeah, on, I, I have on, done uh, that a few times on my on the EP on Sometime, Wasted Time. Oh that's yeah, that's like all like Sometimes Devil Lock and Soothe. It's almost like a lazy trick. If you have a ton of BGVs, sometimes you can literally just put Devil Lock on the entire BGV bus and dial it in a little bit and roll the volume back, and it's done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like Devil Lock is amazing. Literally nothing else. Uh, yeah, uh, mixing. I love mixing. I love mixing too. I love mixing good stuff. I love mixing good stuff a lot. Oh yeah, you are mixing good stuff a lot. That's I great. So, I feel like I'm done talking. Yeah. Do I have any thoughts left rattling in my brain that I need to get out? Oh. Um. One thing that changed. Mixing from one of my breakthroughs and that that has really helped me a ton is a lot of times I hyper focus on resonance. Mm-hmm. I knew that I had a good ear for yeah. things that stood out, but you can really get carried away when you're just solo checking things like snare on solo. You're gonna make the snare sound great by itself, but when you throw it back in the mix, it's like where it's it sucks. Yeah. So 
something that was a breakthrough for me was trying to uh, mix like with everything in as much as possible to see how things fit. And I usually, I build from drums. I do drums and bass. I, I do drums first to get the drums how I want them to sound. And then I do bass and get the bass locked in. And then I kind of go down the list, guitars. And once I get a rough mix of all the instruments, then I throw the vocal in, get a vocal sound dialed. Um, but I try to mix, besides basically the drums and the bass, I try to mix everything else like all together. Or I, I kind of what I'm starting doing is like, instead of soloing things, I'll like mute everything in my session and then just kind of go one by one and, and unmute and like build the session, build the mix that way. So that by the time I'm doing, you know, the last effects track or the last like pad or something, I already have the vocal in roughly. I already have all the other instruments in roughly. And so I can, the the least important elements, I can mix them while ev while I'm hearing everything else and I can mix them into the rest of the mix instead of making the pad sound really great and full on its own. And then you end up with like, a lot of mud, but also a lot of things that are like weak when you get too carvy with things. Um, they sound cheap. Yeah. So things can start to sound cheap if you are, I call it search and destroy. Yeah, they, that's exactly what it is. Search and destroy yeah. is exactly what it is. I think something that helped me was letting go of like my ideal sound for everything and just, and also kind of realizing that everything sounds different, especially like vocals. If you like how breathy vocals sound and the singer that you're mixing is very belty and not breathy at all, you're never going to make it have that like sparkly air because it's just not there. So like something that's helped me let go of that is just like having kind of a rough like soothe preset on my vocal bus already there and like doing as little EQ as possible on the source and just kind of trusting the processing is going to take care of it. And like, that's going to be as good as it is because if you get too nitty gritty and search and destroy, then you're always going to have another problem you're, you're having to fix. And like, yeah. it ends up sounding, it can end up sounding harsh and or weak. Yeah. I feel like a good, just like practical first step for getting rid of like that bad habit in a way is let's say like you got a lot of resonant buildup in your low mid and like every time you create like a new curve in pro Q, you're just finding more stuff right. and you're soloing out and it's all in this like one low mid spot. Try just using like a low shelf. Right. Or like use a wider bell and just kind of just take a little bit out. Go back into your mix, like just live with it for a little bit because I mean resonance is like like you said, it's so easy to just get carried away. Right. At the end of the day, like... Well, I mean, like, in theory, if everything was perfectly flat, music would just be white noise. Yep. <laughs> or pink noise, whichever one is, like, the flat one. Yeah, like, if there's some buildup, there's nothing wrong with just, like, just a little EQ guy, just just broad stroke it. Yeah. Just broad, broad stroke it because it you can... You'll, you'll find a way to... Like eventually on like your broad strokes will get more precise right. and you, you will make better decision with your broad strokes, but it is definitely dangerous just to like keep like one pro Q has like 15 <laughs> points on right. it. And I'm like, 
like <laughs> this this one this one section of the song has this one resonance pop out that yeah. like I just can't I can't I don't know. I've definitely I, I mean lately I've been trying to make myself use broader EQ moves instead of narrow and I feel like it's that's helped me break out of that more and it usually ends up with better results because it's a little less like intrusive on the on the source. Um, also, another thing to like break things out is like something that helped me was stop. I, I stopped. I tried to stop thinking about um, EQ as like uh, what am I trying to uh, like just cutting, um, like. Instead of only cutting bad things, I was like starting to think more about boosting good things or like just because there's one resonance in a certain area doesn't mean that you can boost the things around it. So you do like a bell that boosts it and then put a resonant thing, like a notch kind of in the middle of that. So it doesn't quite stick out, but you're bringing the other things up around it. That makes it feel more of like a texture and less harsh because that one frequency isn't sticking out as much. Yeah, EQ isn't just for search and destroy or for boosting or whatever. Like yeah, that that's a good that's that's great to good point. Like help help break out of that yeah. way of thinking. I it's actually funny. I feel like I use if I'm doing more precise, like taking things out, I use compression more now, dude. Like I used to do like the dynamic EQ thing and like right. every time this like frequency got too loud it just duck. But it's like it gets phasey and weird sometimes yeah. if you do it too much, but I feel I've found that like multi-band compression is actually a little bit more forgiving mm-hmm. since it's like it like is am I is it wrong like EQ is phase relationship for the most part in dynamic compression or multi multi-band compression is just volume ducking in a way right um or is that wrong did i just did i just out myself i don't know i i i think that multi-band compression is basically like fancy eq almost oh like basically it's an eq that's controlled by a compressor kind of or an eq that Uh, functions in the same way as a compressor and has all the compressor controls but instead of volume for Instead of gain for like the entire material, which is linear, which is wouldn't just phase. It's because EQ is every time you put a every time you do an EQ move, it actually the, the way EQ works is by adjusting phase. So it adjusts phase in a way that amplifies a section, just like. Wow, this is like this is a rabbit hole. Of, like, uh, you know, if you if you have two things, two identical, if you duplicate a track and then you put you flip the phase on one, it cancels yeah. out. But if you shift that over a little bit, right. some it'll it'll get louder. Um, that's basically what it does, but it uses certain calculations to only boost or to to uh, null or. Gotcha. Uh, additive to add to one certain frequency range, and it's a bunch of math, basically. Oh well, don't listen to me. But what <laughs> what I was going to say was, I enjoy the sound of specific multiband compression on resonant frequencies 
than dynamic EQ on a on a resonant frequency. I don't know why. I can't. I I tried. I thought I knew. I mean, it's probably a lot of it is probably just like the way all compressors react to are more sensitive to certain frequencies than others. So like that's how you get different. That's how compressors sound different. Is like things grab are more sensitive to like lower frequency than high frequency or whatever. And then, and kind of just based on that, there's almost like, there's almost like a curve to different compressors and like, true. Yeah. They're like, if you're looking at like a threshold, like if you're looking at like a compressor threshold and you put like a spectrum underneath it, the ceiling, the threshold ceiling of the compressor, yeah, it's, it's not actually like a straight line where like your spectrum, the first thing that hits it is going to reduce it. It's more like it has its own curve. I'm guessing the 1176 is more sensitive to low end. Uh, I'm not really sure. So that's how it sounds to me whenever I put it on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> This I I feel like this is our first time really going off on like a a tech or like yeah we got pretty technical rabbit hole yeah I feel like we've been pretty good about not being pretentious about <laughs> like this stuff yeah so this is our our time to be <laughs> to be noticed yeah uh yeah this was fun I think I think that was all I had to say yeah. I, I, I think the best way would be just send us your mix and we'll tell you if it's good or bad. <laughs> no notes be, or anything. Like, yeah, no, no this notes. Is just bad. Good. Try again. Great. You're going to get a good, <laughs> great, good or bad. <laughs> uh, I would hate that. Um, I am happy to do notes, though. Thank yeah, you are I too. I've notes. someone. Um, oh, actually, I, there's somebody I need to give notes to like a long time ago and I've completely forgotten I just remembered but I've have got, I've gotten some like mix note checks haven't gotten any <laughs> send your productions to Henry <laughs> he'll tell you if, if they're cool or not send your mixes to me and I'll tell them if they're bad <laughs> tell you if you're, you're bad or not <laughs> and if you get a bad bad two bads from if you send you send your pre-mix production to me and you send your post-mix production to Tanner. And, we're, and they're both bad. And they're both bad. You just quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give up now. Yeah, give up. No, never give up. Stick around. That's right. Stick around. Just stick around. If you got talent, just stick around and you'll, you'll, you'll do great. So to wrap it up, three C's. Give them to us one more time. Uh, color, contrast, and clarity. To me, those are the like objective things that make a great mix. That's fair. Um, and I guess movement too, but uh, I would I usually associate that with contrast, and it doesn't sound as cool as three C's. So the three C's: Tanner Ledford, patented, trademark, patented. Yeah, you're. Let's put that on a shirt. That's what I'm gonna call my uh, my mix, like like a uh, seminar, like my. I'm going to start a business. You're mixed with the masters. Right. <laughs> the three C's. I'm going to package it to get like the uh, $100,000 home studio or whatever that like BS is. Dude, speaking of home studios, I can't wait to talk to you about 500 series rack. I'm about to put that 
show. Oh, yeah. I'm so hyped for it. I'm very excited for you. Ugh, finally. I feel like 500 series is the perfect in-between for, like, all the... Like, I like having outboard gear and stuff to play around with, but I don't like... Like I, like, I don't like the idea of my outboard gear taking up, like, a ton of my workspace. Right. That's why I like the color box so much. Oh, the color box is great. The color box has saved my ass a whole bunch. Yeah. Like, I don't even have to try. Yeah. It feels like you can play anything through that thing and it sounds good. Yep. Uh, mono overhead through color box. Ooh. Crunchy, man. They used to make a... 500 color box. I know. I don't know what happened to that. I don't need it. Now it's just going to go on my pedal board once I get this, this <laughs> right. rack. Well, I think uh, I think about wraps it up. Yep. If uh, yeah, if you need a mix engineer or a producer, like hit us up. We'd love to work with you. We forgot to tell them. What? Tanner and I worked on music together. Oh, for, yeah. you, we, you briefly mentioned it. Yeah. Tanner and I worked on music together for the first time in like two years. Yeah, pretty much. Like we hadn't done anything musical together in like yeah. two years. And it's freaking awesome. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that song. It was so cool. Make it the outro music. No, oh. No, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can't leak it. Can't leak it. There's so much anticipation for this record that I'm pretty sad. <laughs> It's gonna be great. Uh, yeah, if you need to, if you want to work with us, hit us up. That's not the point, but you know you can do that. More importantly, if you like need a friend, yeah, if you need some encouragement or you need friends, we do. Yeah, Tanner and I were just talking about just last or two weeks ago how we don't get out of the house enough. Yeah. Yep. So, please be our friend. That's the only reason we started this podcast. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, if, if uh, like, we uh, would love to connect with you in whatever way. So hit us up. You can follow our podcast account on Instagram at sessionnotes.fm. My Instagram is tanner.ledford. And mine is herniprack. H e r n y p r a k. I was wait. I was about to say you got to spell it, bro. You got to spell it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's it. Until next time. Oh, next time will be our first guest. Yes. We need to dun, schedule that dun, with him. Dun. We but, can't tell him yet. We can't yeah, wait, we're not going to tell you who it we is can't yet. Tell you yet. But we got to schedule it with him. But it's going to be great, and I'm very excited. So we'll uh, see you next time. All right, y'all.